I'm so grateful for our worship team. Thank you so much. And Diane, thank you. It's just great to have you play with us. We love that. Thank you. Well, Merry Christmas month. Okay? Um, I say that because in our home, in our family, we uh, do celebrate often when it's a big birthday, uh, birthday month. And so, you know, it is the Lord's birthday. And so it is Merry Christmas month. Whether you're prepared for it or not, we're going to start moving into this time of celebration. We're really excited about that. And in fact, some of you had probably taken, and, and we've had a whole lot of people download the app on their phone. And I know for those of you who are not techie, you're going, oh, I don't use the app. But you know what? It, it was really cool. We did a survey. And we asked people, did they prefer white lights or color lights? And that survey result was it was interesting. It was 69% said they liked the white lights to the color lights, 31%. Which, white lights, right? We knew your taste, even though the survey came in afterwards. <laughs> I've had a number of people who have been just grateful and say, it's so beautiful, those lights on the trees outside. And if you look around at the decorations and, and for Christmas, I'm so grateful to um, Kevin and Missy Felt, who are part of our congregation, who um, through their business, Russell Williams, have put all that together for us. And, and we're so grateful for that gift and, and so thankful for their kindness to us as a body and a church. Well, we are um, in a series which we called Retro Christmas. And the reason I wanted to call it retro is because uh, I think sometimes things get really complicated when it comes to Christmas, right? And it, sometimes you start thinking of all the, all the good old days, right? When things were so much more simple and the story was the story and, and joy was pure and there was a sense it was about a baby. Well, those are kind of the messages coming up. And the first that we're going to be looking at is this whole idea of retro Christmas. You know, how did things get so complicated? How do we move back to the simplicity of, of those days? And, and I was reading in a post from a student who is just stressed out and, and, and is recalling in a little kind of note on this post days that weren't so complicated in his life. He says, winter break is here and the homework can stop for a month, but I still find myself just as stressed. I'm thinking to myself, well, why? I'll tell you why. Presence. And uh, it, you can see... And we have a picture of, yeah, a whole bunch of presents here. That, by the way, I took that picture of our home, and those are the presents I've gotten for Grace under our tree. <laughs> I don't mean to put you guys in a bad position, but, uh, yeah, and I wrapped those myself. I don't need the gift wrapping thing that's coming up here. Anyway, <clears throat> back to the story. He says, when you're young, you aren't expected to give anything to anyone. Maybe make a cute little card for your parents or have your name tacked on to the from part of a present to look like you actually contributed to the purchase. Remember those days? Those were good, simple days, fun. However, you weren't expected to spend your own money on presents because you were jobless and without funds. Now that I have a job, I'm obligated to buy presents. All my life, I had presents given to me from my family with no need to reciprocate because they understood it wasn't my time to purchase the gifts yet. Now, I'm old enough, and it's time to spend my money on people other than myself. When it gets so complicated, I wish, in a sense, for those simpler days. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, 
there's a lot of parents who feel this way, and and I was as I was kind of doing work on this, and, and this popped up uh, the the article. And if you're a parent, you may want to relate to this as this celebrity couple did. The article is titled "Why Myla Kunis and Arches, uh, Ashton Kutcher Aren't Giving Their Kids Christmas Gifts." It might sound, says the person who writes this, like a bad mom's Christmas on the surface. But Myla and Ashton have their reasons. Parents to a three-year-old daughter, Wyatt, and a one, nearly one-year-old son, Dimitri. Kunis says the children are too young to truly comprehend, comprehend getting a bevy of gifts on one day. So far, then, our tradition is no presents for the kids, Kunis told Entertainment Tonight. And here's their reason. It just gets too complicated. Kunis, who was raised in a communist country, says her holiday experiences as a child were always subdued and so much simpler. Quote, this is what she says, last year when we celebrated Christmas, why it was too, and it was too much. We didn't give her anything. It was the grandparents to blame. Those of you who are grandparents, you're the culprit. Just stop it. The kid no longer appreciates one gift. They don't know what they're expecting. They're just expecting stuff. And Christmas is about stuff. And Kunis said she and Kutcher each asked their parents, again grandparents, to limit gift giving to one present this year. Man, that would kill me with my little one. Anyway, she adds, their focus on the holidays, whether it's Easter or Christmas, is on family. And their new tradition will be to give a charitable donation to Children's Hospital in their attempt to make things more simple for their family. One elderly mother recalls what Christmas used to be like. We always had a Christmas tree, even if it was rather small. The children got what the parents could give them. We were thrilled to go to the dollar store or Woolworths. Anybody remember Woolworths? We could buy paper, pencils, pens, and soap. I'm thinking, that's a good Christmas? You're a kid? And just about anything we wanted. On on good Christmases, my brother got ties and handkerchiefs. And on occasion, a baseball and a bat. A doll was a rare treasure. Another treat was to get an, an orange. And we get an orange for Christmas and go, wow, thank you so much. It's just what I was hoping for. Some candied almonds. Or a knitted sweater with matching mittens. How did it get so complicated? This whole idea of Christmas, and especially as we think about gift giving. Well, this morning what I want us to do is to look at a passage of scripture, and it's found in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Micah. And if you look at that that chapter, um, you'll see, especially we'll be getting, uh, looking at chapter 5. But in, in a time much like we're living today, here's the context, you have to get what's going on, where powerful people were being exposed for their manipulative and abusive use of power. Sound familiar? Innocent people, from orphans to widows to foreigners and many others, were being taken advantage by the leaders of the people of the nation of Israel. There are lots of scandal. And from political leaders to religious leaders, they were all behaving badly. And the people suffered. And God looked down. In fact, one of Micah's messages, and you can read it through all the minor prophets and some of the major prophets. Here's in chapter 3, let me just read to you verses 9 through 12. Here's a, here's a, a perspective from the prophet Micah 
of his time. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob. He's speaking in, in God's name. You rulers of Israel who despise justice and distort all that is right. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet, they look for the Lord's support. They do all this, they say, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. I'll never reap the consequences of some actions maybe 10, 15 years ago. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. It's an interesting imagery, plowed like a field, which makes sense because uh, Micah uses this farm imagery because he was a farm kid from the grain belt of Palestine, which is really about 25 miles southeast or southwest of Jerusalem. So there's an imagery that he was used to, and in an agrarian society you would be used to. And then he ends it by saying, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble and the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. Now here's the the verse that I want you to pay attention to as we go to these verses here in Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, David's country. He starts out and he starts to appeal to Bethlehem. He kind of turns their eyes there because he starts to tell them about a future gift which will come, which hearkens back to the past, simpler days. Okay, catch this. But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter. This is from the message. I like the way he puts this. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. In fact, if you read it in the NIV or you read it in, in the original language, it's this idea, his origins are of old. The, it's as if he steps out of eternity into time. Meanwhile, Israel will be in foster homes. His point here is in language we understand. They're actually, they're actually chased from what, you know, he said before, you'll become a rubble. They're chased into other, it's, they're dispersed, it's the spora, where they're sent into other lands. They'll be living in foster homes until the birth pangs are over and the child is born. He's talking about Jesus. And the scattered brothers come back home to the family of Israel. And he's not talking about this child. He will stand tall in his shepherd rule by God's strength. Centered in the majesty of God revealed. And the people will have a good and safe home. For the whole world will hold him in respect. There will be a day where everyone will say, peacemaker of the world. So God calls attention to the future by kind of going to the past. This future past kind of idea. Remembering Bethlehem. Little Bethlehem where... Where David, this unknown youngster, came out of nowhere and, and stood up for the people of God, saved them facing this huge giant Goliath and, and then eventually becoming the ruler from which all other rulers would be measured. And he says there's one who's coming who's even greater and surpasses him. So let's get retro. I want us to just kind of simply look at a few things and I want to talk about like kind of going back to the basics and I, I would love for us to be thinking about what it means to go back to this idea of Bethlehem and this idea of David when it comes to the gifts that you give. When you look at this passage of scripture, you'll see this in the Christ child to come. 
And the first is this. If you're thinking about giving a gift this year and, and you're thinking you've got to spend lots of money, let me just give you some ideas that might be good to go along with all the money you're going to spend, okay? Then the first would be the gift of humility, the simple gift of humility. God basically steps into here and he says, I'm taking you back to your roots. It all began in Bethlehem before Jerusalem ever was. There was Bethlehem. I don't even realize it. Jerusalem wasn't even a city of the people of Israel when, when, when David was born in Bethlehem. It was this insignificant town, which is why we sing a song, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem was actually too small to be recorded in the Bible. They had a thousand family towns listed in Judah. And, and Bethlehem was too small. It wasn't even listed in the towns of Judah. In a sense, it was so insignificant, it wasn't even on the map of their day. You know how you take the map out and you're trying to, and now you can kind of keep it getting larger and larger, you finally get to it. Well, they didn't have that ability, and it just wasn't on the map. And, and, my, and Micah's thought is, out of the population of this little insignificant town called Bethlehem, there will arise a leader of such magnitude that every other leader and ruler will pale in significance. And he's given this message in the midst of all this scandal, in the midst of all these leaders who are leading no longer, caring a bit about their people. It's all about themselves and what they can get and, 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 they, and, and whether they're actually committing this kind of bloodshed. They're, they're, they're using and abusing all the people around them. And God is saying, a little insignificant, humble one, I will put you on the map. Oh, you little of recognition, you will be widely known. Here's an incredible thing. He says, give the gift of humility. When you give the gift of humility, guess what? God will show up within you. In your humility, God becomes clearly seen. In your little, God does much. And so he kind of says, you know, give the gift of humility. Like, like you see around the whole Christmas story. So you think of Bethlehem, this little city. Just think of the humility that is all around Jesus in, the his, in this Christmas story. With God, um, you'll see all this humility in Jesus. The ruler's birthplace, little Bethlehem. The ruler's parents, they're poor, common folk. Literally, they were hillbillies from Nazareth. The ruler's palace was a dirty, smelly stable. The ruler's throne, a messy food trough. The ruler's guest... Remember, they were the lowly, uncouth shepherds considered by Jews of that day to be in the same class. You can read the records of that day. They were considered to be in the same class as heathens and criminals. But what you see here is this incredible picture of this God who is humble himself and gives gifts in humility and through humility. Shows up as a little baby, not this valiant leader that just says I'm here and everyone bows but he shows up as a baby because God exalts the humble because in the humble God is most clearly seen and through your actions of humility the gifts of humility that you give to others you can touch God um, other people with God God it says he stands opposed to the proud but he gives grace he operates with a gift of his presence through anyone who chooses to give the gift of humility. I was thinking about this and, and thinking about what are some ways that we can actually give this gift of humility. And, and one of those is, is just a simple thing of being willing to learn, right? Anybody, you know, just kind of, I'm going to let someone teach me. We're all kind of like these little kids when we're trying to tie our shoes and, and they tie this horrible knot and you're just, let me help you. No, right? Our pride gets in the way and it's really tough to learn. Well, 
Okay, I'm going to share a little story. This happened not too long ago, pretty recent. And I'm driving the car. One of the things that I've always said that I couldn't learn, you know, here's one of the things you got to deal with when it comes to humility, is, is get rid of this proud statement that says, I can't or I won't. Okay? So one of the things I've always wanted to do when we sing songs here is clap on a 2-4 beat. Now, there's a few of you who know me who laugh at this, and there's no way, you know, can do it. So my wife, she's incredible. She, her name is Grace, so, so Grace comes through Grace, um, and says to me, kind of basically, you can do it. And I go, I can't. And part of it's pride. I can't. And, and she goes, no, just listen to these songs. So we've been listening to Christmas songs. And she's just start counting them out. You can kind of, and I, you know, I was doing it. One, two, three, four, one. And she's, well, how about this one? She was really impressed because I got a one, two, three, one, two, three. I got the waltz beat, you know, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, she said, now when you count it, just count. And so she's doing this, and we're doing it again and again. I've put myself in a place of humility, learning to, you know, willing to learn. And she says, now when you hear the one on that downbeat, now just, you clap on the two on the, and then the four. And And this morning, I actually did it in one of the songs. (laughs) Hey, I learned something. You guys are clapping one, two, three, four. Let's do the two, four. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what God wants to teach you, but sometimes we don't become humble because we just tell God, I can't. Now, I can tell you, I will never be like the Super Bowl halftime show entertainer, Justin Timberlake. But I could be just like Timberlake. A little bit. You may never be fully like Christ. And you go, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. Don't be, put yourself in a position to learn. Say, God, I am going to learn in humility to give this gift of humility because through it might come patience. Because in that gift of humility might come an opportunity for God to teach you how to be considerate and kind to your spouse. There are so many things if you're, you know, I can't read the Bible, I don't have time. If you're willing to put yourself in a position, because the Holy Spirit, it says in, in, in John, comes to teach and to guide us into those things that are of God. If we're willing just to say, you know what, I, done with the lies of I can't, done with my stubbornness of I won't. I don't know, but God might be actually speaking to you right now about something. Where you have been in pride, and God just can't work through that. And you will never be Jesus in that sense, but you can be like Jesus in some area of your life that God right now is saying there's people who are around you that if you were to give the gift of humility, and that gift of humility can show up by just saying, I'm really sorry. Why is that so hard to say? Think about it. You're in the midst of a kind of a time where you're really, and, and you've done wrong, you know you've done wrong, and, you're, and why is it so hard to just come back and say, hey, you know what, I messed up, I'm really sorry. I hurt you. Why is it so hard? And here's a gift of humility, as you kind of have people come, you know, and you're, you're having all your family come, and this is kind of me, I get kind of amped up, anybody notice I ever get a little amped up even here in the pulpit? I get kind of amped up. I want to get amped up. I don't, th- and, and so for me, there's a sense of I like to speak a lot and be kind of like this is kind of like you guys are going. Yeah, I, we get this. You don't need to explain it any further. <laughs> but for me, humility would be to go. You know what, God? I think I want to sit back and let others be that center of attention. Hey, this Christmas, the gift of humility that you give is just say I'm going to I'm going to step back. 
And for some of you, the gift of humility is going to be kind of weird here because what it is is God, God loves you so much and you, you, you kind of go, yeah, well, I don't really matter and I really shouldn't say anything. And God said, hey, I, I created you. I love you. Your gift of humility will be to trust God and to express your thoughts and opinions because they do matter. It's just as much pride to sit back and to do that as it is to try and grab the limelight. There's all kinds of ways you can gift the gift of humility. You can actually do what God did through Jesus and he went after a whole group of people who are running away from him. You can't change and make them respond to you, but you could take some steps maybe to someone at work or somewhere else where it's just kind of like, you know what, things haven't been good. I just want to let you know I really care about you. I don't know what it is. There's also what I call the gift this gift of, of compassion that you can give to people. It's a simple gift of compassion. It's shown in this passage of scripture because <clears throat> there's this, this picture of Micah coming once again to the people of Israel. Think of how compassionate God is. He loves mercy. In a sense, he's saying one of the great gifts you can give this year is to fall in love with mercy. He so loves mercy that he comes one more time, even though they don't deserve it. That's what mercy means. You, you, you don't get what you deserve. One more time, he comes and, 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 and gives them what they don't deserve, which is his presence, and speaks to them and says, hey, stop it. I'm calling out to you. I want you to respond. And yet he just comes with compassion again and again and again. The very fact that he would send another prophet to this city and warn them one more time is an incredible act of mercy because God loves mercy. And he gives a simple gift of mercy. It's not that hard to do. In fact, if you really want to give that gift of mercy, one of the decisions you need to make is to grow in compassion. And the way you grow in compassion is by knowing and showing compassion. It's it's not difficult to do, but it's a choice you got to make. I um, was at a restaurant last night, and I was wearing a tie on a Saturday night. And I don't usually do that, and we were meeting with another couple, and then we got done, and I um, I was walking out, and here I see my nephew, and he stops me, I give him a hug, and he goes, "Whoa, really classy! Wearing a tie on a Saturday night at Punch Pizza." Which isn't my norm. You know, he's giving me a hard time of GQ and all this other stuff. And, and finally I just said, you know, here's what's going on. I'm doing this thing called December. And I, I was saying to my wife, you know, I have to put on a tie. And she goes, no, think of it as getting to put on a tie. So what's December all about? It's one of the things that we've committed some people to do is you either wear a dress, if you're a lady, every day and, and, and in the month of December, or you wear a tie every day. And when I did it, I didn't realize the implications of it. So yesterday morning, I had to go out to do some work. I was in my grubby clothes and a sweatshirt, and I'm thinking to myself, I ain't going out. i got to put a silly tie on. So I grabbed this yellow tie and, and put it on over my sweatshirt. I mean, I put it on, under my sweatshirt, and it, it, I probably looked like a homeless guy. But anyway, <laughs> what has happened in doing this, in this choice that I kind of thought, yeah, I'll do it because there's some other people in our church, and I probably, you know, kind of lead pastor. It's probably good for the lead pastor to do some of these things. In doing it, it, it caused me to want to begin to understand and know What's happening? Because December is all about wearing these things, and for people who are bound 
through sex trafficking or through human slavery. So in that process of doing this, I thought, you know, I'm going to sit down and I watched a 2020 show all around sex trafficking. Some of you may have seen it down in Houston in that area, knowing that it's coming to the Super Bowl here in Minnesota and all this stuff. And I just started to, my heart started to break. And, and you know, I've kind of sensed of I have to. Um, I'm trying to choose the language I get to. It's not a big deal for me to feel like this. When there are people who from 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age are in these incredibly horrible places and positions. And if I can, with some other people, raise $6,000 to set one person free. If showing compassion just means this, it means growing in compassion. There's all kinds of ways you can do this. Sometimes, instead of just turning the page because you feel guilty, just look at some of those kids who have no meal. Maybe take a Saturday and go down to a place in Minneapolis and serve at a soup place. You know, the way you grow in these things is you begin to know, you experience it, you begin to understand the experience of, of other people. And as you begin to experience it and understand what others are going through, then you begin to say, I'm going to start to choose to show it. When you start to show it, it has an impact on you. I don't know what the gift of compassion, but it's just a simple gift that says, I'm going to grow in mercy. It could be as simple as saying, you know what, I'm going to be a little less judgmental at work. Uh, you know what, I, I probably could learn a little something by instead of immediately, in my mind, making a judgment, kind of maybe sit down with that person and say, you know, tell me about yourself. What's going on? Help me understand. Because that's kind of getting to know compassion. And that's in that process, you get the opportunity to learn about it so you can show it. I mean, there's just a number of ways you can show compassion and you can learn about it and you can grow in it. You can read a book. One of the things I've been doing over the last couple of years, I've read a whole lot of books around Civil War time up through um, our day today around um, what's, what's happened with, with blacks and, and the slavery. And I, it's just there's times I've read stuff and it just broke my heart. It's given me a whole understanding that's so different. He says, Love mercy. Give the simple gift of humility. And I think from humility, all this other stuff flows. Because it's going to start dealing with pride. And then he says, give the gift of compassion. Begin to fall in love with mercy. Begin to move out of a position of judgment. And begin to start to know and understand what's going on in the lives of others. And and do so in such a way that as you learn about it and you begin to know about it, it will actually cause you. There will be a choice you have to make. But you'll say, hey, I want to show compassion. And then I look at this and there's a simple gift of goodness. If you read through this passage of scripture and you see the, the description of who Jesus is, he's making this description in, in what's happening. The backdrop is all the scandal and all the junk that's going on. Everyone is living for themselves. They're all about their own fulfillment. They're all about using someone it doesn't even matter who it is, but using someone to get what you think you need. And in doing so, just trampling over people. And here's the leadership that are doing it to their own people, to their own family. And God's looking down. And God says, guess what? Someday, you guys are not really good shepherds. And someday I'm going to send a shepherd ruler. I'm going to send someone who, who is, is God himself so that you can see what it means and what it's like to experience goodness. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule 
Israel. And you will see a good shepherd who will watch over and who will protect and who will provide and who will guide and even suffer and die. And so Micah, this shepherd farmer, because they in that day had an understanding of shepherds that we don't have. Uh, there's an interesting um, book uh, years ago written by a guy named Philip Keller uh, on the 23rd Psalm. He makes this very interesting statement. He says, the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of person who owned them. Was the person a good shepherd? If then the sheep fared well. God gives the gift of his goodness to us and that gift is seen again and again in the way that Jesus loves and you see it in his life. And so I start asking that question because we get wrapped up in, in the complications of giving gifts and thinking about the right and proper gift. And I think of that student who was going through this because part of what his little blog was about, I trying to figure out the, you know, when you're younger, it really didn't matter. You just did this little simple thing. Now you got to figure out what they're going to really like and what they want and they're going to be really, you know, all this stuff that goes into it. And I thought to myself, I'm reading that, I go, what if, what if they just stopped and he said, you know, I'm going to get them a gift to do the best I can. But the real gift I want to give is something in me that's behind all these gifts, and that is I'm going to act in such ways where there is goodness beginning to show and, and, and be given to others in life. So behind every gift will be me. And part of that gift of me is going to be I'm going to show up and do what is good. It's that opportunity as you go through the season go and ask yourself, is it good? Is it helpful? Is it right? Will it be for the welfare of that person? And I'm going to choose to do that. So underlying all my gifts this year is going to be a new kind of, of life, a new kind of way of showing up in their life. It's for some of you who are actually married, it's what you chose to do when you stood at the altar and you said, I will live, I will love for that other person's well-being. And what God does is expands it beyond just a marriage to your family. He expands it beyond that to others that you work with. He expands it to your social circle and your friends. And he says, what does it mean for you to give good? And we get caught up in giving this gift at this one time in Christmas. And there's a song, I sing it from time to time and kid my wife on this. And it's it's a song by, I think, Bing Crosby where um, he goes, close your eyes for a second and just... Listen, it's not the things you do at Christmas time, but the Christmas things you do all year through. It's that whole idea of, it's not just what I do right now around Christmas, but it's the person I'm becoming. And then there's one last gift. It's the simple gift of dependence. Again, retro, go back to Bethlehem, the littlest town, the runt of the litter, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. This little runt stood in stark contrast to the bright lights in the big city of Jerusalem. Kind of a bit like maybe Maple Lake or Winstead compared to Minneapolis-St. Paul. And Jerusalem is surrounded by all these enemies 
You have Assyria to the north. You have Moab and Ammon and Edom and others over to the southeast. And then over here you have Egypt. And they're in this place where they're pressing upon them and they're seeing that they, they need to do something. And so they start to say, what can we do? And they start thinking about, what can I do? And in their own strength, their own wisdom, they're trying to figure this out. And God's coming to them again and again saying, would you just depend on me? Would you just depend on me? There's a couple of bright spots throughout that where some kings actually do. But for most of them, what they do is they start trying to make military alliances. They try to do it in their own strength. And instead of depending on God, they depend on themselves. And there's an interesting few statements, and you can read it again and again. Just go through Kings and go through Chronicles, and you'll see this again and again. It says David, in a sense, becomes the measure of dependency, of what it means to be dependent on God. Little David, who comes from this little town of Bethlehem, and again and again, the Old Testament chronicler will write something like this. Here he looks at a king, and he says, unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Therefore, the Lord handed him over. So you have the measure of David. And he keeps measuring everybody by David and his simple dependency on God. And how, how David said at one point, hey, I'm not going to, I don't need all that equipment. And I don't need all this uh, armor that you're putting on me. I don't need this big spear. I'm just going to go because I know God's with me. I know he's in my heart. I'm going to depend on him. He's given me a, this sling and this stone. He's, he's prepared me and I've been worshiping him throughout my life. And I'm going to go out and stand before this big giant just with what God, basically with God and dependence on him. And he's asking them to do it. But every once in a while, you'll read in the Chronicles, he'll say he did what was right. This person, this king, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, followed the ways of his father, David, was dependent like David, not turning aside to the right or to the left because his heart was responsive and he humbled himself. And then it, it always has this little tag, and God bless him and his people. And he says, yet there's a gift that's coming. And David was really good, but he so far surpasses David in his dependency on his father. Every impulse of the spirit of God, he, he felt and he responded to. With obedience, when he heard the voice of God, he did it. He got to know his father and his father's heart was built in his character so that when you look at now the new standard, the new standard is the one that we're celebrating at Christmas is this baby Jesus who grows up and in every way is dependent on his father for our behalf and result of what happens because of his dependency is life for us. And um, as I was going through this, it just hit me. Every one of us has a chronicler. A chronicler is someone who writes your account. The word of God makes this really clear. Every one of us will live our life. And guess what? You will have kind of written of your life. He or she was unlike the son Jesus. It just didn't listen, didn't follow, didn't obey. And those around them, their family, their spouse, the people they worked with, did not experience the blessing of God. And then some, it will probably be written, he or she, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Like Jesus, you're not Jesus, but like Jesus, 
you, be, you began to develop a habit of listening and, and, and being obedient to that voice and, and saying, yes, Lord, I will do this. I will, I'll begin to walk in humility and I, I will begin to love mercy and I will, I will actually begin to show goodness and I'm going to live a life of dependence on you. And through you, those you love most will be blessed. I'm going to ask the worship team as they come, we're going to prepare to sing a song. But I, I want you, as you kind of, I'm going to ask you to stand in, in a moment of worship. And as they come, I'm going to ask you to just to bow your head. Father God, one of the things that we contend to do, because we're just people, and we, there's pride in us, there's pride in me, is we contend to make things complicated. When you're asking us to make things simple. Later in this book, with your head, just continue just to hear this. Later in this book, Micah gives this simple thought. It might be a great thing for you to memorize. Micah 6 8. He says, He has shown you, O man and woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You may want to this Christmas, maybe this is a gift you'll give to people. You may want to just memorize Micah 6 8. And you just hear that question again. What's the Lord requiring of me today? Oh, yeah, to act in ways that are just and fair and right, to do what is good, and, and to love mercy, and to move out of judgment, and to walk humbly, to learn, to say I'm sorry when I need to, or whatever that looks like in your life. God, I pray that we would each, as we say in our mission, seek to take whatever next step it is in our life to know you and to follow you and to become like you. We, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to multitask here for a second, and that is we take an offering on Communion Sundays for those in need within our church family or one-off that we are um, in contact with. So uh, would you please sing, and as the Lord leads you, um, give to that as well.